Hey guys, welcome to the film room. Hello. We have a guest with us today, Mr. Matt Jackson. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Matt directed a movie called Love and the Tiger Monsters, which we both watched. How'd you come about making this movie? It was a long time in the making. So I, I went to school for film at the University of Arizona at the turn of the century, which sounds really awesome, but it means, <laughs> what, 15 years ago. Um, just fell in love with with making movies. If you've ever discovered your calling, like that was that moment where like I had boundless energy to do this thing. And I was like, this is what I have to do. And I was like, I love directing because I love like doing all this stuff and telling stories. I was like, this is it. And uh, I graduated and I had to go somewhere because Tucson is wonderful, but it is terrible if you're 21 and you need to like move on with your life. And so I moved to LA with a couple of guys with the express uh, goal of making a movie. And then, you know, it was, it was 10 years of, of fighting through like peaks and valleys and, you know, find it like uh, working in the industry, meeting people kind of like the general stuff that happens. And uh, ultimately uh, I made a short film in 2006 with a friend of mine, Andy Gunn, and after it did its festival run, we're like, we need to make a feature. So let's let's figure this out. And one of my friends from school um, had a script that was great. It was called Gigantolopithecus Doom. And there's this <laughs> weird little movie about about this colorful cast of characters and mascots run amok and like hyper violence. And I said, oh, this is amazing. We should make this. And then five years later, we actually shot the thing. And it was it was a dream come true. So it was just it was a lot of of um, a lot of pushing and a lot of just not taking no for an answer and you know just just working for that dream, you know. Oh yeah, it turned out it turned out great. I really liked it. Thank you. Yeah, I had a I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I could Thank see a you. lot of influences. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan of those those big '80s movies, and so I wanted to make I I was like, you know, if I'm gonna make one movie. Um, cause you, know, you never, you never know what's going to happen. And I said, if I'm going to make one movie, I want to make a movie that's really fun to watch that everybody wants to just like hang out with. I want to make those movies I, I used to watch in college. And so we try to make something in, in the vein of evil dead Two. like evil dead Two yeah. was the target we were trying to hit. I and could I, have very, very, very easily guessed that because it, yeah. there was so much, so much of that in there. And so yeah, I'd say you hit, you hit you hit that target. Oh, thank you. I I feel like I overshot it a little, and I I ended up in like Army of Darkness territory because it's it's a little like sillier than that I originally intended, but but it works. It's fun, and I love it, and it's yeah, you know, and it's 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 thing. And yeah, you know, if you're gonna hit Army of Darkness, that's not a bad that's not a bad place to be. Yeah, it's it's fun when the um when all little zombified critters show up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the part that's like, oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, that's that great. was one of those. Uh, one of Mike's early drafts of the movie ended with a shot of like a zombie squirrel, and I was like, <laughs> oh, this is great. This should go in the meat of the movie. And he said, what? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, we should do it. And then you know he figured out a way, and that yeah, I I I don't know if you could tell, but I had a lot of fun during that big ending sequence. Cause yes. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was not subtle. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you, the birds actually remind me of something that 
this is going to sound like a tremendous insult, but don't let it. Um, <laughs> it felt like Bur- like what they were trying to do with Birdemic and failing about as miserably as possible. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know that. Yeah. Because it, yeah, it's it, much it, more effective in your film is what I'm saying. Much more effective, more effective. Than, than gifs and jet sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've covered the Birdemic duology on this cast. We're oh. not fans. Yeah. Both, yeah. both films. I, oh God. I tried to watch Birdemic once on, on Netflix and no joke. My Netflix rejected it twice. <laughs> like, like I was trying to stream it. I was like, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to watch this movie. And it was, it was out of sync. And it broke down after about 10 minutes. It was just like, no, I can't do it. PlayStation was like, no, 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 no. I'm not not so sure it was out of sync, though. I'm not so sure that you didn't have exactly. Yeah. But oh, uh... no, it was like it was like 10 minutes out of sync. It was weird. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay, that's Um, that's my favorite Birdemic watching story. (laughs) I uh, I uh, but, you know, but what I'm saying is I the, the fact that the birds were practically visible actually really gave it uh it was better that's what i'm saying yes and also you were so it was done in a humorous sequence which i just greatly enjoyed toxic waste infected vultures just awesome <laughs> yeah thank you the credit goes credit where credit is earned uh it go, totally goes to uh blood brothers and scotty fields who like we walked in we walked into their shop with this crazy idea of, hey, we have no money and we want to make this movie where there's a bunch of crazy animals. And he was like, oh, yeah, OK, I'll figure something out. And then he like him and Carrie Hash, who was our, our makeup, uh, special effects makeup person, like they just they sat there and did that. And they at some point during the shoot, they were working like 24 hours a day in their shop on those animals to get them like looking, looking like something that was usable. It was crazy. Yeah. They looked phenomenal. They're, they're, they're pretty terrifying. Yeah. No, they are great. They're super great. Yeah, it was it was really important to me to have uh, as many um, practical things there because I, I wanted my whole thing with the movie was be, because it's so so heightened and so weird. And I wanted everything that was in the movie to be sincere. And to me, that was like that was what made it work. So like. The performances, all the actors, I was like, you have to really believe what you're doing. I mean, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. You're going to be talking about zombie trouts or whatever. But you need to you need to believe it. And you 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 can't tell the joke. You can't let the audience know you're in on the joke. You have to play the straight man and let the craziness happen around you. And part of that whole thought process is having having practical um, creatures because it just it adds to a weird kind of sincerity for the movie. Yeah. yeah because, totally. because you can tell they're physically there. Yes. Yeah. And, and as you know, I'm, I'm also a fan of uh, B movies. I'm a big eighties B movie fan. Um, nice. In, in fact, um, Albert and I uh, did a uh, fictionalized, uh, we did a, an April fool's day podcast on a fictional eighties B movie. Nice. That, that we created. Um, and so, you know, as I said, I, that spirit was running through this all the way through, and uh, I enjoyed that. Excellent, thank you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, you can totally tell the kind of kind of movies I was watching in and around that time of just like you know, I wanted. There's something magical about those movies from the '80s where they are just 
yeah, whatever. Here's some robots, and they're gonna they're gonna patrol this mall and go crazy. And you you watch it, and you say, yeah, okay, so sure, robots. What else? And they're gonna murder people. I'm in. Yeah. And yeah. You know, oh, and they're a, gonna shoot it at a real mall. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's that like that willingness sell, that willing to suspend your disbelief that sometime in the '90s kind of broke down, and then everybody said, oh no, it needs. We need to know exactly how it works and and really like lay right. out the plans and the the nuts and bolts of how everything works. It all needs to be Batman Begins, and we we need to really ground everything. And that just gets boring sometimes. Sometimes I just want to you know be like, yeah, toxic waste turns you into a monster. Go because it winds up having the opposite effect of what the of uh, what the executives think, which is if you start to think on it too long, you start to see the logic holes whereas yeah. if, you, if you just yeah. walk in and go okay it's a stupid premise but we're going to go with it all the way i'm yeah i'm going to give myself over to the film uh it's mm-hmm. it's one reason that i kind of loved uh snakes on a plane because it was like they committed yeah <laughs> they committed yeah. all the way on that one they didn't say okay there's a logical reason that this happens it was okay the guy that's trying to do the murdering uh using the snakes is crazy that's enough of your answer. Go on. <laughs> right. Now, it, it's interesting, you know, the, the backstory of that movie was at some point they wanted to downplay all that stuff. Like it had some terrible name like US-137 or something. <laughs> yeah, like it was a documentary or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the internet got a hold of it and were like, no, make it fun. And it, it was... Like it was, it was one of those times that the internet actually did something like good with its power and made like yeah. a, a good change. And it's it's unfortunate that it made no money in the box office because then it, it told the the executives that like oh the internet says they want this thing, but that doesn't mean they're going to go see it. Well, I I think that I think that people made the mistake of not understanding that the film was kind of a com- was wasn't kind of it was completely a comedy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And because I'll tell you this, I sure as hell saw it. I saw it at midnight and. Ah, oh, I had a sheer blast. That's one we're going to get to eventually on this cast. I haven't totally. seen it yet, so I get the pleasure of seeing that for the first yeah. time. Oh, I, I feel like that movie's going to age really well. I'm a big I think so too. I'm a big proponent in um, uh, fermenting my movies. Mm-hmm. Like if a if a movie is like a movie like that will get better with age when it's brand new, when it's fresh, and it's it's up against like. When did they come out? Like 2004? 2006. 2006. So it's up against, I don't know, whatever the big movie in 2006 was. But, you know, it's, so you're comparing it to, like, those computer graphics and that storytelling and whatever. Like, it, it makes it seem not as good. But once you separate a good 10 years from it, then it becomes a movie of the past. And it, it becomes a part of that, that melange of, like, like old movies that have weird effects and sometimes don't look great. And you just buy it and it just adds to the whole thing. And then you're able to just enjoy the movie for what it is. It stands on its own. Yeah. 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 It's just, I mean, I I agree. I'm, you know, that's why we do the nostalgia column because we look back at the movies of 20 years ago and you're right. These movies, uh, aging, I find really separates the movies that last from the ones that don't. There are movies that are just in their heat they matter in that moment, and then ten years later, you're like, "Why did I ever enjoy that?" Yeah, no, totally. There's a uh, thing that illustrates that perfectly for me is there's a uh, Simpsons episode where they 
make a reference to the movie Prince of Tides. And in the, <laughs> in the commentary, they're like, yeah, because we thought everybody uh, 20 years from now would remember that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of going for, what, a Jurassic Park reference. Right. Well, yeah. It's it's although it's funny because in the same uh, bit where they have that Prince of Tides reference, they have a uh, North by Northwest reference. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know, and, and kind of to pull things back on point. That's one reason that I think I love so many of the '80s horror and slasher movies, and find that they have aged so much better than the romantic comedies of most of the stuff in the '80s. I am really not a fan of most '80s romantic comedies at all. I just yeah. find that those have been the ones that have aged the best because they are so goofy and happy to be what they are. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, and there's a weird secret sauce when it comes to like genre stuff, because you're, you'd be more free to like live outside the bounds of reality than if you did like a, like a rom-com or, or something. Mm-hmm. Like part of me wants to go back and rewatch like, um, uh, you got mail. Yeah. Just oh, to see. Well, yeah. I, I mean, yes, but, just to see how how that movie has aged because it's been 20 years. It was back when it was like, oh no, I've got this thing called email. Mm-hmm. The internet might like do something to my small bookstore. What? Be interesting to watch that now where it's like small bookstore. What's that? What the- right. I, know. I know. Probably aged pretty well just because of Efron, Hanks, and Ryan. I mean, I, I can't sure. see but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. It's it is interesting. I'm I'm fascinated by the aging of uh, films myself. It's something I'm always fascinated by. But I just I don't know. As I said, you did a really good job of hitting that sweet spot that the '80s films have. Uh, yeah. Of just okay, this is Thank the you. premise. Next. I think yeah. uh, my favorite yeah. character is the uh, is the Lincoln scientist. Oh yeah, Doctor Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love that he's just there on staff and he's uh, super smart and can do all these uh, all these uh, toxic chemical tests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah. I loved that. I love him so much and I love how hand-wavy it is. Like, we, we hung a bell on it, like they say. If we had a pure sample of the ooze from the source, I could analyze it and um, find the identity of the unknown seventh toxin. Then... I could synthesize a simple breakdown compound. You can do that here. Indeed. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Science. You know? Exactly. Then you're, then you're through it. Then you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, of course he can do it. He said he can do it. So why am I going to complain about it? Um, I, I loved then, that, that moment. <laughs> then I have to give some real praise to the actor that played the part, uh, Doug Jones. Uh, oh, yeah. Who this is one of this? I think honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, this may be the first film I've seen him in that wasn't CG or makeup or anything like that. It just he's just in it. Yeah. Now Doug, Doug is God. I love Doug Jones so much, and he is the nicest person and such a good actor. And somehow they always stick him in a suit. He says it's because oh. of his weird long neck um, that he looks <laughs> he looks weird and alien, but. So sweet and so good. Oh, and um, I got that completely. He, it really came off. He just came off very likably in the film. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I like that. That I feel like more and more he's doing more face stuff. Uh, you know, he was in he was in the, the Neighbors, that weird ABC show about aliens in suburbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in 
he was in uh, Falling Skies, and I think he got to do some face stuff there. And you know, he's he's around, and he's getting more like more in things. But um, but yeah, I was very happy to have him, and he's great. Yeah, and just like talking to him about the different like movies he's been in and the different stories he has because he's worked with everybody and everybody loves Doug and he remembers everyone. It is crazy. Like I, I did a signing with him at Comic-Con last year and people would come up and say, Hey Doug, some random fan would come up and say, Hey Doug, you met me at an airport in Wisconsin a couple of years ago. And you said X, Y, Z, that really meant a lot to me. And he'd sit there and look at him and be like, Oh yeah, Jerry, I remember you, you were doing (laughs) this and you talked to me about this and blah, blah, blah. And just like connects. It is awesome. That is incredible. Yeah. That's a superpower. It is. is. It is. I I just really felt like he just, he brought such a nice tone to uh, his scenes. Just, Just very casual, very relaxed. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, he and he had a he had a, the hardest part. He had the big like the big the big monologue in the middle of it where it was like, Hey, here's the premise of the movie. And if you don't mm-hmm. believe him, you won't believe anything. Right. Uh, so. I won't lie, there was a nice little subconscious uh, cue to me because uh I'm a big Hellboy fan. And yeah. I, I was just like, Yep, Abe Sapien is telling me these things, I'm buying it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I still think the smartest thing that uh, Del Toro was able to get was just letting him do his own voice work for the uh, second one. Yeah. Well, yeah, apparently uh, uh, David, David Hyde Pierce, thank you, yeah, yeah. Uh, felt really bad about covering up his voice in yeah. the first one and refused to do the press for it, the movie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he did. Um, did. And, and apparently Doug was supposed to be the voice of uh, Fauna in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh. So... Doug played both uh, Fauna, you know, the, the big like goat thing, and the uh, the pale man, the one with the eyeballs in his hands. Oh my God! Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he um, he learned phonetically all of the Spanish to play Fauna and did it, and then Del Toro redubbed him, apologized, Aww. but redubbed him because he wanted somebody who like could feel the nuance of the language a little bit more. Um, I understand. Which that. I, I understand. yeah yeah I. I I get, and I feel bad for Doug, but he understood. He's you yeah. know, a big understander. But I really, I, I really enjoyed seeing him in there. And uh, of course, um, I've got to say, we're talking about '80s horror. I've got to give some love to seeing Kane Hodder in there too. That was yeah. a blast. Oh man, uh, Kane, Kane's a trip. Kane is like, he's so he's such a cool guy. Like you, you expect him to be this. He is a big tough dude, right? He's a big tough dude, but he has a really sweet center. The fact that he did our movie blows my mind all the time. Yeah, I, I, I buy that. He it was just really cool to see him in something and you know, especially unmasked, uh, in light of what his best known role is. I don't watch a lot of horror movies, unfortunately. No, tell him. Yeah, he he was uh Jason in uh, several of the uh Friday the thirteenth movies. Um Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's probably the one who's the best known Jason, and I think he did it the most of any of the actors. Nice. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Seven through X. Which, if you're gonna watch a Friday yeah. the Thirteenth movie, uh, Albert, and you don't like horror movies, you should watch Jason X because Jason X. Jason X. Awesome. Jason X is so much fun. It's 
so silly. It's so weird. That's, that's the one that's set in space, isn't it? Yeah. David Cronenberg like, is in it. Is he really? Yes. Yeah, David Cronenberg is in it uh, early on in the film. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's really awesome. He he, he is, and, and it is awesome. It's – it's yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Um, and also, um, if you're going to read a book on film on, like, the history of a franchise, um, Crystal Lake Memories is also highly, highly recommended. He just has this great presence, especially once he got electrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's great. And uh, I was shocked how – uh how uh funny he was i mean i always assume any, anybody can do anything but yeah I, I forget how hard it is to like nail timing and and do all those things that actors need to do but he like he came in and nailed uh, all of the jokes he needed to nail and and was like really got the rhythm of the movie and was was just great and it's funny when he first saw the movie because so we did we did a big cast and crew premiere in um you know here in la and we invited everybody and everybody came out and kane couldn't make it because he was probably off shooting something because he's always working um but uh he saw it a few weeks later we sent him a link and he watched it and he called our producer andy uh and left him a message and the message was like andy i've started watching your movie i'm 10 minutes in and i had to pause it and andy's like oh my god Oh my God, what's he going to say? He holds on for a beat and he's like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. He's like, this is such a great job. It's so fucking funny. I really love it. Like, I think it's the best movie I've been in. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. Great job. All that's just really effusive. And then went back into the movie. He's like, it was so good. I had to stop it so I could call you to tell you what I thought about it. That is wonderful. Um, oh, that is it's awesome. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very sweet. It's it's interesting that he did that about 10 minutes in. Really, the tone is set so early on the thing, and I really appreciated that. I thought the pacing was just dynamite. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of that came from came from the script that, that Mike Scavarla, the, the writer, Mike is great because he's really efficient in the way he writes. You know, that he... He would write a scene and he'd be like, yeah, I don't want it. it. It might take him a little bit to figure out how to write a scene, but he didn't want to waste any dialogue. He didn't want to like sit in a scene for too long. He just wanted to like get through it in a way that was satisfying and fun and kept the energy up. And then we kept that, uh, that thought process as we went into the, the edit process. And um, my editor, uh, Todd Zellen, has a great has a great sense of like, how to keep things moving and zippy and, and whatever. And, um, and so while we sat and edited, he would, you know, we would just put stuff together in a way that, that felt like it had a lot of forward momentum. My, my trick is when you're watching something and you, you want to figure out like why it's not working or, or if it's too long or whatever, is you find the moment that you check out of whatever you're watching. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But whenever I watch rough cuts or I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to cut time in something or I, I assume it also works if you're writing, you know, if you're ever trying to figure out like, oh, yeah. Yeah. where your writing falls down is you, you read it in that spot that you can't remember or that spot you check out, you think about what you need to go to the grocery store for or what you're going to eat that night for dinner. Those are the moments that are problematic that need to go. And so we try to, you know, it's funny. It's funny. You should say that I actually have uh, been doing revisions on uh, the script that I've been working on 
and that was actually what I did as I was is I actually did just that same process of I read it and I was like, okay, these moments don't work. And it's for the same reason. You're just like, no, no, I, I don't care right now. And if I'm the writer yeah. and I don't care, that's a real problem because the audience sure as hell won't care. Right. Or like the moments that I got bored writing them. I was like, you know what? If I'm bored writing these scenes, they shouldn't exist. I wound up having to throw out my entire third act that I was writing uh, on a script recently just because I was just like, no, I'm not enjoying writing this. And if I'm not yeah. enjoying writing this, then there's something wrong with it. No, absolutely. And, uh, and it, it's a it's a really it's a really tough thing to like to rectify in your own brain is that something's not like something's not working and you need to just scrap what you've done. But it is so refreshing when you can do that when you can be like, oh yeah, screw it. Like let's get let's get rid of this. Let's see what else happens if I try something different. It's a it's a skill set that not a lot of people have that is totally necessary whenever you're doing something creative. Yeah, it's hard to, and especially with um, the opposite, like scenes that you uh, get attached to or parts that you get attached to, and you kind of have to uh, unattach yourself from that. Yeah, I would say you can't have babies. Like, yeah, just, yeah. You gotta be, gotta be prepared to murder every baby you have, <laughs> um, which is I mean, which is true for life. I mean, don't tell my wife, but it's oh. true for life. <laughs> I mean, you, it really is true. I mean you'll get to a point where you'll just be able to look at something and go, yeah, yeah, this, this isn't, this isn't the best that I can do. And sometimes I find that the, uh, a lot of times I find that when I am forced to scrap something that I've worked so hard on, what winds up coming out instead, I usually wind up preferring greatly because I usually wind up coming yeah. up with something much more interesting that way. Yeah. No, it, it, it frees you up. Like I, I'm, I'm working on something right now where I know where I want it to end, but I can't figure out the middle. And I, I've been wrestling with it for a couple of days. And what I've begun to realize is that I need to change the ending, that the problem isn't the middle. The problem is the end that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying so hard to like force the pieces to this right. ending part that I want that I should just, I should just, write the idea for that ending and save it for something else and then figure out what the more natural ending is for what I'm actually writing. That's yeah. actually exactly what just happened to me on with the project that I'm working on. I've okay. I've been working this project where uh, it's been that situation that for um, I actually started it in 2000 and the ending was the problem. And I wound up taking the opposite approach, which was instead of scrapping the ending, I changed the beginning and middle to get oh, to that. Sure. Yeah. And it, uh, and after 15 years of being unable to get to a completed draft that I liked, I did three drafts in five months. So nice. And congratulations. It works. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I, I don't think it's very good yet, but, uh, it's, <laughs> hey, it's, it's there. Yeah. So. He's been, yeah. he's been a dynamo with that project. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, I, I always say there's, there's an entirely different conversation to have, um, when something's even if something's terrible, if it's a completed draft, it's a different conversation than if it's still in progress. Uh, mm -hmm. I I had an idea forever. Um, this uh, this frontier scientist idea of like big high adventure, like steampunk western type of thing, and uh, I had beaded it out a bunch of times, and I, I kind of knew what it was, and I 
I was writing it as a comic script and I got about halfway through it and I realized there's a there's a big flaw and I got distracted and whatever and I, I didn't go back to it. But it was always this unfinished thing, this thing that was hanging over my head. And then um I think last summer I finally went in and I was just like, screw it. I'm gonna I'm just gonna write the thing as written. I'm just gonna plow through it. And I did it and it's terrible. But but it's it, there. But it's there. It's a thing that exists now. So I can just go go back and do notes on it and fix it as opposed to, and it, it's no longer hanging over my head. Like I, is, I don't feel that pressure anymore. Um, that's exactly where I am. That is exactly yeah. where I am. I, I'm not trying to do too much self-promotion. It's just that that's really the truth of where I've been mentally is that I've been in this world. And you're, you're so right. When you have a completed draft, it is the greatest feeling on earth. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I do want to get back to the film though, uh, because the, I really I, I have to ask about um, I have to ask about the rest of the cast. Um, I thought your leads were I, I thought your lead actresses were great. Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. I am totally in love with those girls, uh, yeah, Marissa and Jenna. They are they are godsends, and if if they didn't work, the whole movie wouldn't work. Uh, when we watched the when we watched the very first cut of the movie, which is always a nightmare. Like, like first cut of anything is the worst. But mm-hmm. I, and I remember I was you know hanging out with the editor. We were at his house. We had a couple of beers and we were watching the first cut of this movie, which is like 112 minutes or something. It was really long. And man, the movie was terrible. But those girls were dynamite. Every time they showed up on screen together and were like bantering back and forth, I was like, thank God. Like it's there. I can feel it. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's okay. It'll be okay because that works. And they were just, they were just amazing. And it was Jenna, the Marla, the dark haired one, uh, we found relatively quickly. We put out a big casting call uh, to, for like attractive 20 something girls in the Los Angeles area. So we saw everybody in town and, uh, you know, lots of pretty girls, lots of like good actresses, but not everybody could nail the specific cadence of the script. And Jenna came in and just cold, like nailed it, got the character, got everything about it and was so good. And so like vivacious that instantly I knew it was her. And it was like day two of a four day cast casting session. So I feel bad for every other girl that came in because I had already made up my mind, but with Marissa, so what would happen is that we'd have these girls come in and read both parts. So they'd read Carla and then they'd read Marla and they'd read it against some other girl that was doing the same thing to like, so we could see like how they bounced off of each other and like who was who and, and all that. And it took us forever to find somebody that bounced off of Jenna correctly. That was, that was her like right compliment. And ultimately, uh, I think our line producer was friends with, with Marissa and brought her in for an interview. And she was, she was great. She got like the wide-eyed doughy thing. Uh, she, she could do the, the strength that the, that the part needed. And she's just, and she was wonderful. And she was so easy to work with. And so like, so great. She was, she, and, and she, instantly bonded with jenna and they're still really good friends oh nice yeah it's like the those two clicked and once you saw them together you're like oh yeah oh yeah that is totally it um and then it was just just an extra bonus that uh the the redhead paula rhodes came in and also really liked those girls and so their little trifecta was like 
just a perfect storm of like awesome girl talk. It was great. I really, yeah, I enjoyed her work. Um, I was so happy to see uh, her. We had just, you know, for um, for Rob's interview, uh, like I watched um, like the new adventures of Peter and Wendy. So it was nice to oh, yeah. like, see her in something else. It's like, oh, hey, I was so sad when she got killed off. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> that was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, she was. Uh, yeah, Paula is a Paula is a godsend. And she should be like I want her to be more famous than she is because she is just so great on camera and so just she yeah, just she's pops on screen. She has a lot of charisma. She does. She does. I yeah. She's 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 the real deal. Um, really, I mean, her scenes just there was an energy there that was very distinct. And as I said, I've I've watched uh, a bit of uh, Peter and Wendy for the previous cast that we did and. Uh, yeah, she's very good on that too. Uh, yeah, no, Peter and Wendy is great. Like it's... I also have to talk about um, Michael McShane. Was yes, just, he was a hoot. yeah. I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah. So Slavko, in Mike's head, was this svelte, uh, like this svelte, balding foreign guy, um, wearing a wearing a tracksuit, kind of like a. I don't know. Do you guys read? Uh, fractions hawkeye yes so yes i do in his head he was a tracksuit dracula like uh you know yeah. wearing the adidas the adidas tracksuit and like like hey bro come on bro oh that that kind of thing uh, i pictured him entirely different as this this rotund jovial like weirdo foreigner and i was talking to our casting director and he's like so who do you like in a perfect world, who is your Slavko? And I was like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, somebody like Michael McShane or whatever. He's like, oh, yeah, I know Mike, Mike McShane. Let me give him a call. Nice. And sure enough, McShane was like, yeah, I'm in. And it came out and he hung out for like the entire shoot. And he is uh, like, yeah, <laughs> like if you ever want, if you ever want to have a good experience, hang out with with McShane and Doug at the same time. Cause those guys, they're just, yeah. I love their little scene towards the end. Hey, yeah, the boss, I, I cannot in good faith leave this unattended. You know, the notes alone are worth a hefty price to any number of parties, not to mention they hold a vital incriminating clues that has been dumping on your land. Uh, so this is good then, huh? Mm. I get coffee for you to stay awake, huh? Coffee. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. Yeah, he's gonna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a great little. That was a great little scene. That was so good. It was so good. And then, like, yeah, seeing him, seeing him turn, and uh, yeah, the, the times I could, I could open him up, and and you know, because I, I'm a big proponent in um, uh, creative empowerment. And, so especially when working with with actors, like you have the script and you have the scene and everybody knows what they're doing. And at that point you say, okay, well, what can you add to the scene? Like, what, what do you feel like you would do? Which is terrible for a writer. Writers hate me because I tend to go off script a lot, but it's because I feel like everybody gets the words. Everybody understands the blueprint of the scene and I don't want to change the meaning of the scene. I just want to make sure that the scene is the best it can be. So yeah, you know, if it's if it's written to be blocked a certain way and you run it 
and the actors aren't quite believing the, the scene that they're in well, then you talk to them and you you get them to move around until it until it feels right uh and then same thing with dialogue where it's like hey the line has the line is some like some dumb joke about something and so they spit it out and you're like well do you have another one and just like i would run lines like that anytime we had like a quip it would be you know, read what's on the page i would spit out one and or, or a couple and then i'd have them spit out a couple and just keep going until we're like yeah okay you were good we, ha- we have some options and then we we could we could play that and it feels like it, it adds to the energy and then it adds to you know people wanting to be in the movie because then you're not just a robot repeating the lines you're actually a thinking machine a thinking machine you're, you're a thinking it. person yeah that's like in there and with mcshane because he's you know i used to love uh whose line back yeah back when they did the reruns on uh comedy central the old british stuff that you know i was like yeah i mean what can you add to this scene Mike and he's like, oh yeah, totally. Like blah 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 blah. They just like rattle stuff off. It was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the reason to hire someone like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he just really he was just he was a trip in it. One of my personal pleasures in the movie was uh, like seeing his introduction, his commercial. Uh, <laughs> that's that's just one of my secret little pleasures in uh movies and tv is when they make an intentionally bad green screen commercial so that yeah. was fun <laughs> oh man that commercial i love i love that commercial that was one of those things that i i had in my head like the first time we read the script i was like oh my god i know how to do this it's gonna be crazy <laughs> And of course, like me knowing how to do it as a director is different than actually doing it as an editor. <laughs> yeah. And so like I was, I was sitting at Todd's house and I was like, Todd, I got this great idea. We're going to take this footage and we're going to put a bunch of shit behind him. Like you know, this and this and this and this. And he's like, okay, cool. How? I was like, I don't know. Figure it out. Uh, and then Todd, Todd put that whole thing together and it blew my mind how great it was. Like he... He found all this like, like public domain footage, and you know, tossed in all these like floating bits, and like built the whole thing, and it was just goofy and weird. And then when we got to um, when we got to the post sound process, our uh, our sound guy just like amped it. It was one of those things where I didn't necessarily ask for it. I was just like, yeah, hey, we got this commercial, and like whatever. And then he he tossed in the little sound effects of like bounces and boings and all this goofy nonsense and i was which, like that is amazing i love which, everything i'm saying it made it so real is the thing ironically yeah, yeah. by going the more over the top because those commercials in reality are so ridiculous yeah of course albert and i are both uh extremely well i'm closer probably than he is to uh, branson missouri yeah yeah sure man did this movie uh at times give me uh flashes of that <laughs> yes um, that's awesome i've never been to, to bronson missouri or, Br- or bronson sorry not bronson missouri i mean branson missouri i have bronson, missouri. i have yeah. multiple times actually um i have a few times my sister went to college down there it is the most bizarre thing because it is this absolutely physically breathtaking location you're in the middle of the Ozarks and like everywhere you turn, you've got these gorgeous overviews 
into the mountains. You've got these tremendous valleys. Physically, it's lush. It's green. It's yes. it's amazing, and it is surrounded by the loudest, tackiest crap <laughs> I've ever seen. But the best time to go to Branson is not when it's in full swing. It's in the off season because really? it becomes it's deep. empty. It is huh. creepy. Uh, my dad and I, one time, my dad, my brother, and I stayed in a hotel. Uh, well, it was a, like a Best Western or something there. Um, on December 26th yeah, and the city was completely dead, but it was still lit up. So, <laughs> so you're driving through this city that's completely alit and it is dead as can be. That's amazing. It, I am going to write a script set there at some point. I'm, <laughs> I'm like determined before I die, I'm going to set, set a thriller in that setting. So where are the zombies going to come? Yeah. But I'm just be, saying. It could be like Snake Eyes, but set in Missouri. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> but I'm just saying, the, the the entire resort reminded me so much of Branson. Um, especially the uh, the uh, Kahuna character reminded me a lot of a documentary I'd actually just seen on the topic. Yeah. About being uh, one of the uh, people that it followed was a uh, gay man who participated in a show in Branson. So there was a, a lot of accuracy there. Yeah. Now, I... I have a big fascination with uh, roadside attractions, like the like the platonic example of a roadside attraction of like like what you're explaining for for Branson, Missouri, of like this this crazy other world that's in the middle of nowhere. And I love, love, love that idea. And I, I blame it on. Um, I don't know if you guys played point and click adventure games. in the oh, 90s, yes. But I loved uh, Sam and Max hit the road. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is. Which is, you know, it's all about roads, like crazy, weird roadside attractions. But this, like, awesome example of those things. It's like the largest ball of twine, or the the um, was it the uh, eggplants in the shapes of celebrities, <laughs> like all of that stuff. Like the mystery spot that's actually a mystery spot where you can like go wander upside down and stuff. Like that was my introduction to the idea of roadside attractions, and then. We never did road trips uh, like that when I was a kid with my parents. But as I got older and I'd go on road trips, I wanted to stop at all these places like the thing or the mystery spot or any of that stuff. I just have to stop at it because I want to see what it's like. Wikiwachi Springs in Florida where they have mermaids. It's amazing. I love it. It's so weird and dilapidated. So that was my what I wanted to make with uh, the Slavka's All-American Lodge was was that kind of like weird otherworldly place and no joke for one day I it actually existed we did we did one day where we had a bunch of extras from town come in so we shot it in uh, northern California we shot uh, near Crescent City California uh, we found this great wonderful little lodge the Patrick Creek Lodge like 20 minutes from the Oregon border in fact it's right outside of where they saw Return of the Jedi Ooh, um, oh, nice. So, like, like way, way the Woods up there. Vendor. Yeah, the Woods of Endor. Yeah, the Woods of Endor. Nice. And uh, and so we they let us take over the lodge for three weeks. And there's one Saturday where we we did our big full day. It was our day with Paula, and she came in, and we needed the the whole park in full swing. And and it ended up being an actual roadside attraction, like because the whole front was decked out. We had everybody in costume rolling around. We had 
our our Bigfoot kids in the Bigfoot suits, like entertaining the guests. And we had like people milling around and all this weird shit going on. And I was like, oh my God, we actually made slaps. And it was great. But if I had a trillion dollars, I would go buy that place. It's not a trillion dollars to buy that place, but I would buy that place and remake it into Slavkos just to like, just to have that as a, as a real thing in, in the world. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was going to actually ask about the uh, location because it really was, I'm, I'm a mount, I'm a mountains woods guy. That's my, sure. that's, that's where my heart lies. As I said, I'm in Arkansas. Um, I was telling, uh, I posted about this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Um, all right, I live like six minutes from downtown Little Rock. So really, for lack of a better word, because my job is in downtown. Yeah. So for lack of a better word, I'm in downtown Little Rock. And the other sure. night, as I was coming home from the uh, Walmart neighborhood market, I had to stop because there were deer crossing the road. Huh. Yeah. So that's my affinity for the mountains yeah. and the woods, that that's what I live surrounded by. Yeah, now I... Um... You know, while I spent most of my life in, well, not most of my life, I spent a good chunk of my life in Arizona. I grew up uh, in Reno and in the the Tahoe Mountains and like that, like mm. area. And, and yeah, like forever, I feel the same way. Like when I'm in the mountains like that, I feel, I feel more at, at peace or whatever. Like I feel like that's where I belong. Um, and it's great. Uh, like I love it. I love like that the crispness in the air. I love the, the smell of pine trees. I love all of that stuff. And, and yeah. And where we shot in Northern California is like that times 10, where it was just, it was literally in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by these beautiful peaks, lots of huge trees. Uh, like you'd wander into the forest and it was, it was so covered and so green. It was, it was blue. Like you wow. walked around and wow. the, the color of the world was blue. It was nuts. That is, that is, that is that's gorgeous. Uh, yeah. That, just, that hits the heart. I got to talk briefly about the score just to give some uh, love to our previous guest. Cause I thought oh, Rob, I thought Rob did a great job. He brought it. No, he did. He did. And uh, like, it was, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird process. Cause I had ideas early on the whole thing about making movies, right. Is that everything, everything evolves. And, um, I think, I think Rob said this when you guys interviewed him, that he likes to see the movie as, as soon as possible. So he can start, start writing things. And this is one of those examples where I had some weird ideas of like, I was like, I want to try this weird, like remix type thing with the score. Do you think you could do it? And then as we started putting the movie together and started like, trying that idea it didn't work and then so he kind of started over and um and then came up with something great and it was it was a lot of back and forth between us like like sharing notes and giving notes on music is really really difficult um are you guys are you guys star trek fans uh yes you remember that episode where um uh where everyone's getting abducted like nobody's uh sleeping right it's uh like season six or season seven and like like Riker and and uh like O'Brien and all these guys are are getting no REM sleep and they can't figure it out. Uh and then they they figure out that they're being abducted by something. And so they're all standing in the holodeck and they're trying to figure out the room that they've all been to. It had a rectangular shape. Computer show me a rectangular conference table. 
No, it wasn't made of wood. It was smoother, more metallic. Computer, make us a metal table. Yeah, yeah, that's starting to look right. That is what music notes are like. Yeah. You, you stand in a room with somebody and you're like, I want to hear violins. And then you hear violins. And you're like, well, no, like two violins. And then you're like, no, like this. And it, you just like, it just evolves. And it's, it's purely like poking around in the dark until you figure out what it is you actually like hear in your head. Right. Um, yeah. 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 That's a good way of, of viewing it. I, I mean, that sounds, sounds about like how it, it feels. Um, of course, that's how, that's how describing most things are to me, frankly. <laughs> it's, oh, isn't this uh, neurology of mine fun? But yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, like what I liked about his score was that it never gave it. You, you talked earlier about sincerity. It never gave away the joke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is like, uh, have you guys seen uh, Zombievers? Uh, not oh, yet. No. Not yet. No. <laughs> Okay, so Zombievers, I feel like, is a is a weird alternate reality version of of Love and the Type of Monsters, where it's it's this like everything in that movie plays to the joke, and all the characters are in on the joke and are kind of laughing along with the audience, and because of that, the movie doesn't work. Oh, and yeah, so like Rob was delivering this uh, these cues, and I we wanted to go with something darker and scarier, and and droney and, and like that kind of thing to kind of fill the space as opposed to like doing something upbeat and silly because once we once we made fun of the threat in any way either via performance or via via um via score or via the edit or whatever it was once we made fun of the threat the threat was no longer that and so we needed we needed to always play the threat straight to like make everything kind of kind of work and then it, it carries you through the movie because at no point you're like oh that's it's goofy it's squirrels they can't do anything because they're squirrels and i know right. that they're silly because of blah 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 uh you're like oh sure they're silly but i've i've seen them being taken seriously as right. a threat, so therefore like they can tear a person apart <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly they can do the chest burster thing yeah, yeah. that's probably my favorite gag in the whole movie was the chest burster gag just like how that worked. It was just like that moment where Mike and I were like working on things. We're like, what if this, what if this? And I think Mike was the one who brought it up. He's like, what if it popped through your chest? I was like, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go. You have to go for the alien. You have to yeah. go for the alien at some point. <laughs> I, I thought that was really, that was definitely, it was one of those jokes. I'd never seen that done before. And that's the goal. Yeah. yeah. Do that yeah. with a, uh, uh, with a squirrel. <laughs> Because because you're right. I mean, these are these things are tearing people to bits. It's you can't really be laughing too hard if you're in the movie. The characters are legitimately dying. It's yeah. just not as funny. Right. I also right. love the um, um, the device of distracting distracting the monsters by having a dance party. Yeah. It's just like just keep dancing, betraying. That was, yeah, that, that day was amazing. Cause I, I remember, uh, we shot, we shot the, the dance part first and I was, I was sitting next to the monitor and I was like talking with somebody and they were like, Oh, this is adorable. This is really cute. What's happening right now. <laughs> and I'm like, 
yeah, sure. And then we turned around and then we shot the 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 monsters clawing at the door. And the same person is like, oh, God, this is really creepy. What's happening? Ugh. I was like, yes, right there. That's yeah. the reaction. It should be like, oh, that's funny. Like, oh, that's creepy. <laughs> but in the, in the same, in that same like area, we shot a special close up of uh, Doug, uh, Dr. Lincoln uh, as the DJ, which when I saw on the page, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Here's DJ Dr. Lincoln doing his thing as like all this stuff is happening. I fucking love it. We got to shoot it. And as we were shooting that moment, I was looking at the monitor. I was looking at what, what was happening. And I was like, oh, this is, this is incorrect. This is a this step goes, too far. It's a step too far. And so it became like our, our delineation mark of like, we don't want, we don't want a Lincoln, Lincoln DJ. Like yeah. anytime we were shooting something, we're like, uh, is this a Lincoln DJ? You know, like mm-hmm. that, that became our, our high watermark of, we can't go past this thing. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Nice. And you're yeah. right. I mean, you, you, you mentioned Zombievers. I have not seen that and uh, don't now feel particularly interested yeah. in doing so. Um, you know, there's a, this, that reminds me though of, I, uh, I did see Tucker and Dale versus evil. Sure. Yeah. Which is great. Which is just First of all, I have to note Magnolia did something brilliant, which was when they did the first rollout, one of the cities that it came to like on its first weekend was Little Rock, Arkansas, because they figured it's a redneck comedy. It'll play to rednecks. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll tell you this. Everybody from Arkansas that I know that has seen it absolutely loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, they were right. And I mean, as I said, I'm certainly in that number. Um, That was a movie where, again, they played every... They played everything tonally pretty straight and just let the bizarreness of the scenario take over. Yeah. And yeah. it worked. No, totally. I, I love that kind of movie. Did, have you guys seen um, uh, Beneath the Mask, the Leslie Vernon story? Uh, no, I need mm, to, yeah. folks. It's up my alley. It's it's totally the same the same type of thing where it's it's ostensibly a horror comedy where it's 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 a mockumentary told from the perspective of uh, uh, Michael Myers. And so you see this goofy mask and you see the goofy things, but you see like the behind the scenes of, of those crazy, scary moments in a scary movie. And it's, it's a great deconstruction of how it all works. And you see how weird and goofy it is. And then it puts you into that movie and you're still terrified by everything, even, even though you know how it works and it's, it's great. And it, it, it's great how like when you can do that, where you, you're still in the craziness, but it's played sincerely and it's played whatever that it, it, it pulls you through even, even the weird parts like in um, uh, Tucker and Dale. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, that, that really is. I mean, I, as the, uh, the, that, that really is kind of the tone that I felt was again, I mean, it's a movie that starts with a man that, that wonderful, wonderful opening sequence. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was a good laugh right off the bat. Nice. I love uh, Trees of Mystery and that Paul Bunyan statue. That Paul Bunyan statue waves, smiles, and winks. winks. <laughs> yeah. And he talks to you. Like, it's it's awesome. It is the real deal. And and his babe, the blue ox, is most certainly a male and, and shows it off. It's crazy. Oh boy. Yeah. With all that entails... 
Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was really effective. I thought it was a really good, effective opening scene. And uh, I thought you did a good job of, again, telling the audience right off the bat, okay, this is where you are. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, I call it my baby birds theory, that yeah, they, they say that baby birds imprint on the first thing that they see, which is why like a, a mama bird wants to be there when they crack out of the shell. And I, I feel like a movie's responsibility is to do the same thing, is that yeah, that this first, the first scene that you see, that first image needs to tell the audience what they're going to expect. So we knew that we needed to start the movie with a murder because all horror movies start with with some kind of kill. And that's that's how it works because it primes the audience for like, oh, this is a movie where people die. Um, mm-hmm. So we know we needed to do that. We knew we knew it needed to take place at a roadside attraction. So uh, we found trees of mystery that we got in some like crazy twist of fate that was amazing. And then. Mike and I had it like had an idea planned out for how to shoot it. And then I got there and I saw Paul and I saw his goofy face. And I was like, that's, that's <laughs> it. That's the first shot. Cause that's what the movie is. It's like this weird goofy thing that will kill you if you're not careful. I was like, mm-hmm. that's the movie. And that's how we need to start. And this whole, the whole, whole scene kind of like filled in from there. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah. That's really I, good. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed that. My wife is a, a post uh, production supervisor, oh, nice. and uh, and did uh, like supervise post for us, which is very nice and very great. We actually it was a great like like test on our new marriage. So I got married five weeks before <laughs> we started shooting the movie, oh, boy. which I do not recommend getting ready to shoot a movie while you're trying to get married because it, right. it's just a crazy it's craziness on top of crazy. Two big productions, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but so our first year or two of marriage has been like dealing with weird post stuff on the movie while we're getting used to this new like phase of our lives. It's so, it's so interesting. Um, but she did a great job and we're still together. So that's always good. good. Um, <laughs> but, didn't kill uh, you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but the, but what was great about it is that, you know, so we talk about post stuff a lot and I learned so much about, about the movie, about like the technical aspects of the movie and like compression and all that nonsense. And it's amazing how, how clear it looks online, even though it's been compressed beyond belief, you should see our uncompressed, like our, our big master files, which are beautiful. Um, we sure. shot this. I, I don't want, I don't know how much you guys know about like color space and all this, but we shot it with this huge color space and had so much like control over, over like, how we can make it look that when we took it to our colorist, he, he had a ball and seeing, seeing the image come out of, of this stuff. So we shot it. So it was flat. So it looked, it was just gray and like dull and weird looking, which may or may not have given me a panic attack when I first saw the movie. Mm -hmm. But once we colored it, you brought out the, the, the vividness of it. It was amazing. And it just, it looks so good. We got a DCP made, which is like this digital, digital cinema print, which is how they do uh, movies nowadays. Right. Um, and it is so, so gorgeous when it is like pristine like that. that I, I cannot get over it. I just, what, uh, what kind of camera did you shoot with it? We shot with a Panavision Genesis. Ooh. 
Yeah, Panavision. Wow. Yeah. Well, so Panavision has a has a new filmmakers program. So if you're making your first big film, they want to ingratiate themselves to you, so you'll always use them. So, right. uh, so it's essentially a grant where they give you a camera and a lens uh, lens package, a tripod, and all this fun stuff for the cost of insurance, which is astounding. Um, That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So we got this camera that. They shot uh, Superman Returns with, and they shot a bunch of like big Hollywood movies on. And it, it was one of the first digital cameras they developed. It's it's big, it's strong, it's durable, and it has this big, uh, this big big color space, which to keep it brief means that it, it you could um, it just had a big color sampling size, so you right, could right. you could shoot something super gray and then really pull out whatever color you wanted from it, and it just. It's it's really it's really great. We really had a good time. Is it like um, camera raw? Uh, yeah, essentially, essentially, you could shoot either two tape or tapeless. Oh, and nice. We opted to go tapeless, which because I'm an old man and <laughs> like a like a freaking Mennonite, I it <laughs> freaks me out to no end to shoot tapeless because I want right. a thing. I am just I want a thing that I can hold on to and be like, this is the tape. And this tape is fine because I'm holding this tape. Yeah. Listen, when it's when it's on a hard drive, it's like, here's the hard drive. And I have to be so careful with it because this is like all of our money on this little thing. Mm-hmm. And so we made like three copies of it. Somehow I have two copies of it. And it's just it's like four terabytes of data. It's just <laughs> sitting around I, the house. I understand. Um back in March, um, the screenplay site that I use. Oh, uh, Jesus, to, yeah. To write with uh, script.com, decided to go up in a puff of smoke. Oh, no. With no warning. And having lied to the customers for years and said, yeah, you have to pay to back it up. They then were like, oh, yeah, why didn't you back up your files? So uh, I lost three years, two to three years worth of writing Whew. in a puff of smoke. That includes oh that includes what little existed of our fake movie, the the Penguin script. <laughs> uh, we were gonna post samples to that because at one point we were actually going to make it a full production. Yeah. Uh, to where we were going to have our friends come in and actually do, you know, because we like to include clips uh, sure. whenever possible. So we were gonna make these fake clips and have them scored and include sound effects and all that stuff. You know, basically the more ridiculous the better because you can't see it. Right. And so we actually did have most of a script written. And then it went up in a puff of smoke. Ah, oh, that is. On the day we were going to post it, no less. Ah. Uh... So it was too late to get the references to it out of the final cast. Um, we may still yet have a full script. I'm, I'm kicking around the idea of going on ahead and writing it out at some point. But Right. Yeah. But that that uh, that was something that happened. So yeah, my point is yeah, I understand the need for physical stuff. Um, yeah, that's why I don't like to own uh, as cool as as cool as it is to own like a digital copy of movies. I don't like to. Uh, I like to own the Blu-ray. Oh yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Like I, I have to. I have to hold it. If I'm going to spend the money, I want to hold it in my hands. I don't want it to like. Right. And this is me being again me being a crazy person. But like, I don't want to spend 10 bucks for something that's going to disappear in like 10 years. I want to like, I want it to go obsolete and be a burden for me to carry around with. Like all my VHSs. Yeah. Yeah. Like my Star Wars, uh, uh, the, uh, well, the the, THX versions. 
yeah, the THX, yeah. the widescreen, yeah. THX yeah. widescreen, which I got when I was 13 and which I still have to sure. this day. Yeah. Those yeah. are the best versions of those movies. Yeah. They're the best yeah. versions. They're clear. They're crisp. They're unaltered. Uh, even though, even though those, as I said I was 13, their special editions were good for what I needed. <laughs> They're slightly altered because they have the digitized star field. They have uh, increased explosions. They have better colors. Like it's yeah. it's a kind of tweaking you want to have in that movie, right? Yeah, not the Proving. yeah, not a not Greedo shot first. Yeah, not a <laughs> not a Jedi Palace dance sequence. By the way, there is a great bit in uh, William Shakespeare's Star Wars, which I just recently listened to the audiobook of, which yeah. is great. By the way, highly recommend if you get the chance. Sure. And when it comes time to the bit about. Uh, who shot first? Han has a line about whoever shot first, that uh, that shall remain a mystery. And it was like, okay, that's genius. Like they just basically <laughs> refused to answer the question. <laughs> I loved it. I that's loved great. it. Yeah. And also, uh, it's great to have a physical copy because when you actually meet a person behind uh, the movie or TV show, you can have it autographed. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I've, or you're not bound by uh, internet connectivity. Exactly. Like, yeah. Last night I watched uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance because I own the DVD and I could pop it in. I'd be like, eh, I feel like this weird movie. Let's watch it as opposed to like, well, what's on the Netflix or what's on right. the, the whatever. Or like, oh, my internet's crummy so I can't like watch something that I quote unquote own. Mm. Like, ugh. Yeah, exactly. I'm a distrustful old man who has to own things that I buy. No, it's I, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I, I don't I, I don't like digital comics. All that. Actually, I take that back. I enjoy playing with digital comics. I don't like buying them. Yeah. Well, there's something really uh, ethereal about digital things. Yes. That they mm-hmm. they don't they don't feel like real things anymore. Yeah, it's not special. So I read, I read a bunch of stuff on uh, Marvel Comics Unlimited. Right, it's awesome. I, I really yeah. do love it. It's great, but I can blow through. I blew through Greg Rucka's The Punisher the other day, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it was great, but I don't retain any of it. Whereas, no, I you go, don't. Yeah, I go back and I read like issues, like physical issues of Mark Wade's Daredevil. And suddenly, like, I, I love every minute, and I'm, I'm in it, and I remember all of those moments a whole lot more. Hmm. I have to ask, what's next for you? Uh, well, uh, uh, right now I'm, um, uh, I'm writing a bunch of stuff. And so, you know, the, the realities of, of being an independent filmmaker, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's tough for everybody. And the sure. industry right now is really, is really at a crossroads because everybody wants content, but nobody wants to pay for it. And I'm, right. I'm totally part of that problem and it's 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 a thing that happens but so i'm i'm trying to figure out how to make something that is is cost effective essentially so i'm writing a bunch of stuff uh i um i wrote a screenplay that i really love it's a gender flipped mad max Ooh, um, that sounds good nice. yeah of course then again one has to wonder after fury road just how much gender flipping would it really be <laughs> that's true that's true well no big trucks so, oh, okay. Yeah. So there you go. It's like it's like badass chicks on motorcycles fighting. Oh, it sounds awesome. Yes. Yeah. Like, sounds I'm, like my alley. I am like super excited about it. I wrote it. I love it, and it's a little too expensive. So oh. I, <laughs> I um, 
I'm trying to write something else right now. And so that's, that's what, what I'm doing. I'm like writing a bunch of stuff. I'm sending out a bunch of uh, things. I'm trying to like, see what, like, see what clicks. And I, I really want to do something like big and fun and, you know, something that's, that's maybe a little bit more serious than, than lit Tom, but still has the same, like, like a uh, fun vein in it where it's just, it's a big fun thing you can do. So I'm, I'm working on all that and um, yeah, we're seeing how the movie plays out. And, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an adventure and hopefully it doesn't take another 10 years to do it. You know, hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully yeah. not. Uh, as I said, um, really enjoyed the film and uh, I, I have to ask real quick, what writing program do you use? Uh, I use uh, final draft, which is great, yeah. which mm-hmm. is like yeah. super easy to use. Uh, it's a, it's a little expensive, um, but I used to use uh Celtex. Uh, which That's is more or yeah. less what I use. Yeah. Yeah. And Celtex, I, Celtex does all the same stuff. It's just different. And that when I, when I used to use it was when you'd actually download a thing and everything was saved uh, locally. And I wrote, I think I wrote half a script with somebody else using Celtex. Um, I use, uh, I use writer duet, which uses Celtex as the core of it. So nice. Yeah. I think somebody, I think somebody I know used writers duet. They were writing a, a combo script. They were writing a script with somebody else that was not living in town, and they they used the writers' duet thing and, and loved it. Like yeah, I've got I got nothing yeah. but love for them. So yeah, but yeah, so it's it's doing stuff. I I, I have a camera, so I like occasionally like get my creative outlet out by posting like little dumb little videos that I I do. Like I hang around the house, and I'm just like, I got some dumb idea. I want to go do hmm. it. I just try to go do those things. That sounds wonderful. That sounds like yeah. the most fun. It's a good exercise. Yeah. It is. You know, I, you have to, one of my favorite like spans of my life was when I first moved, when I first moved out here and I was living with, you know, two other or three other struggling filmmakers. And we are all just trying to like figure out how to make our way in the world. And this is like 2004. It was pre YouTube, pre like, like putting stuff online and the way that we would, would keep ourselves occupied is that we would just shoot random stuff. And the, the first day we decided to do it, there's some night and we were just like, Hey, there's four of us. And we had these sketches of ideas and we're like, let's do this thing. And one of my roommates was like, Oh, well, let me light it. And he starts setting up this light and he starts doing this thing. And I was like, no, 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 stop. Like, let's just shoot the thing. Let's use practical light. Let's use a, whatever lights we have in the house, let's not set up anything special. Let's just make sure we can see everybody. Let's make sure we can hear everybody and go from there. And that, that speed and that, that freedom is, uh, is what I've been trying to get back to ever since, because once you start, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't do something, you know? Oh, I want to write this thing, but I have to do this other thing first, or, Oh, I want to shoot this thing, but I need it. Like all of these things to line up so I can do it. That, there's so much freedom in saying like, I want to shoot this thing and, and then saying, yeah, okay, well, let's do it. Like, what do I need? To, what are the base things I need to go do this thing? I need a camera and I need people and then just go. Like, you don't even need a script. You just need to like have the idea and go and be open to ideas and, and doing stuff. And that's that's been my mentality ever since. It's just trying to trying to get out there and just just exercise that muscle and not not fight the impulse to go do things that's awesome uh, yeah that's yeah. really cool yeah i like that 
Man, so. I, I really do bid you the best of luck. And uh, we Thank will you very much. The film room will definitely be out there promoting your stuff. Um, where can we find, where can one find your film? Uh, yeah. You can find the movie, by the way. Thank you so much, guys. I, I've enjoyed, enjoyed talking to you a whole lot. Uh, it's, it's really been, it's really been wonderful. So great. Um, yeah. uh, the, the, and the, and the podcast is great. I've been listening to it this week. It's great. Oh, thank I was just you. listening to your uh, your lost tapes on the spirit, which oh. I keep <laughs> I keep forgetting is an actual movie. I keep thinking I, it's a weird fever dream, but yeah, you know when yeah. we were rewatching it, it was we both had the same reaction to it, which was the first go around. We just were so entertained by what a bafflingly bizarre movie it was, and then on the second go around, it was like it lost its magic. There is yeah. no magic <laughs> left in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I just yeah. feel for him having to do all the editing, having to be exposed <laughs> to it again. <laughs> it took it took longer than like I got it out a day late because it took way longer than it should have. <laughs> yeah, but but thanks. So, we 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 really yeah, worked hard you. on this. No, oh, no, absolutely. Um, well, so uh, the movie you can read all about the movie on our website, uh, tbcfilms.com. That's uh, TBC. It's Tribeard Council is what it stands for. Uh, uh, TBC Films, and you can read all about the movie and where to see it. You can download it on iTunes and Amazon and Vudu and all those crazy sites. You can buy it on DVD if you're like us and you like things physically. You can buy it by the DVD on Amazon, on um, BarnesandNoble.com, and I think on Walmart.com. Like it's it's out there and it's a, it's available. You can type it in and, and find it. Uh, and then we're on we're on Twitter at Uncle Slopko. I'm on Twitter at Platypus Robot, and I've just launched my my website. If you really want to read more about me and kind of where I came from and what I do and all that stuff, I have a website. It's platypusrobot.com because I like things that are are weird and fantastical. That would count. So yeah, so there you go. Yeah. That's me, and that's all that stuff. Sounds great. We uh, as we really enjoyed the experience, and we do highly recommend the film. Definitely. Uh, Oh yeah, and we'll put links up to all that on the uh, on the uh, Podbean blog. Yep, great, excellent. And speaking of that, let's uh, shall we take a moment to promote ourselves? Yes. Um, let's see. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail dot com. You can find us at the source of the podcast on the blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. You can find our side blog where we write nostalgia and various things at thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com. You can find us on our Twitters. I am at PrimitiveManPRD. Austin is at UntiledUser. The cast is at uh, FilmroomCast. And again, yeah, you can find Matt at PlatypusRobot. Uh, our Facebook is facebook.com slash thefilmroom. Is that it? Oh, no. Patreon. Uh, Patreon. Patreon, yes. We have to promote our Patreon. Come support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thefilmroom. We are almost to our first goal, and um, self and that makes us self-sustaining. And uh, anything beyond that is, is expansion. So yes. thank you all. And let's thank our patrons, definitely. Yes, uh, Sheila and Daisy and Sean from No Totally. Uh, podcast which you know you can find his podcast yeah we we thank you all for uh supporting us and helping us we we look forward to growing this cast and remember when we hit 15 dollars a month that's when we <laughs> yeah. have to that's when we have to go back to seltzerberg so 
Yeah, we have to do their serious comedy, quote unquote. Oh, <laughs> uh. yeah. So those are things to look forward to in the future. Um, yes, our next one is uh, TV shows based on movies. Yes, successful or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. There are no prizes. No prizes for guessing which one we're going to be talking at length about. <laughs> yeah. Till then. I'm Albert Wiltfong. I'm Austin Shen. And I'm Matt Jackson. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Good night, everybody. signal already? It sometimes works. <laughs> we bring happy magic. Who is this guy? Great food! You eat it! You are a cowboy! You are a fishing man! You adventure! Stream waters to here. Uncle Slavko's all-American family lodge was meant for you and me. Expect liberal fun at conservative prices. <laughs> we bring happy and magic and America to you.